My name is Jeremy. I'm the worship pastor here, and I don't get the opportunity to to speak on Sundays too much, other than just a little bit here and there um, when I'm leading worship. But like it says up there, my name is Jeremy Heslop, and I'm the worship pastor. Uh, since I don't get to speak too often, I had two goals this morning. One was to bring a thought or an idea to the table for us to chew on today and throughout the week. That this morning would be conversational, even though it's only one-sided. But uh, the other second goal is I really don't want to say anything that could get me on this. There's this imaginary list that Darren, Cortland, Moe, and I have um, of things that Darren probably just shouldn't say anymore on a Sunday morning. (laughs) The list is pretty long, as you can imagine. (laughs) But I just really don't want to get on that list. With the changes that have happened in in our body and our our church over the last year, I I know that there's a lot of you here who actually don't, don't know who I am. And it drives me crazy on a Sunday morning when I'm leading worship, and I realize how many of you I haven't actually never had a conversation with. I recognize your face, so if I saw you out and about, I can be like, oh yeah, you're that person, you know, sings the songs, raises the left hand, or, you know, that kind of thing, um, or stands there like this, because um, those are things I notice as the, the worship pastor. But, you know, I really do want to get to know you guys, and I really want to hear your stories, and I know that I'm limited by time, and often, oftentimes on a Sunday morning, uh, I lead worship, and I have to pack up my stuff, and we have a little one-year-old baby at home, so sometimes we have to rush out because you've already missed nap time and those kind of things. But I just wanted to just take a moment to introduce. So this is my, my wife, Amber. She's so beautiful. She's sitting right here. Um, and my son, Micah, who just turned one uh, on the 13th. They're definitely in my world. There's no doubt about that. Um, I want to tell you a little bit more about myself. I grew up in a small town in Pennsylvania called Indiana, Pennsylvania. Uh, Our big prideful thing in Indiana, Pennsylvania is it was the the hometown of Jimmy Stewart. And so we had this big old statue in this museum. It's probably like 10 other towns that claim it to to be his hometown too. But we're really proud of it. So I've been in in Tennessee now uh, 11 and a half years. My wife Amber and I have, have celebrated, uh, actually in October was our 10th wedding anniversary. So we, we've been together now over 14 years, kind of high school sweethearts. Um, I am bivocational, which means that uh, being a worship pastor is not my, my full-time gig here. Um, I work during the week, I work for a company called Ramsey Solutions, it's Dave Ramsey's company. Uh, and there I help churches across the country develop stewardship ministries and learn what it means to be generous givers. And there's a lot with that. And I know what you're probably thinking. No, I'm actually not talking about money this morning. So you can rest a little bit. I met Darren and Shannon uh, years ago. We've been doing ministry together uh, for about 11 years now. And when I first met them, they didn't, there was no such thing as Ethan. Ethan Tyler was, was not a thing. I remember the day when Darren actually announced, and to use his words that he actually said, of course, was, his announcement was, as the prophecy had foretold, there would be a stem on the apple, and the man-child would come forth. So now we have Ethan. <laughs> so Cortland, I met, when I met them years ago, they only had four kids. Now they have six. Um, a couple fun facts about me. I'm 33, which makes me one year younger than Mo. You'd never guess it by how much gray hair he has. But as you saw up here, it's because his boys are about teenagers, you know, 12 and 13. So, anyways, my kid's only one. I love sports. I love a lot of sports. Uh, Steelers are my main football team. Yeah, 
That was a little bit less in the first. Yeah, all right. We got some. In the first service, there was some heckling going on, so I figured there'd be a little bit more of that. Uh, but I am also a Titans fan after living here this, this amount of time. And, and the truth is the Titans are actually kind of turning into the Steelers of the South with Dick LeBeau now joining other coaches and players. Um, I love guns and knives. It's true. Amber teases me because I am a little bit afraid of mice and snakes. It's truth. Um, I used to really be into MMA, so I love wrestling and grappling, and figured I might let you know that in case you felt like attacking me. I, I will fight back. Um, unless you're Craig Walber. He's a fourth-degree black belt, if you didn't know that. So probably just leave him alone. I love people. I have the same sign above my head that my dad's had my, his entire life. It says, talk to me. And I remember growing up being, I remember a specific time being in a McDonald's. That was before my wife banned me from going to McDonald's. But um, I remember multiple occasions, situations like this would happen where my dad would just have random people come over and just start telling them, telling him your, their life story or asking them advice. And if you've met my dad, you understand why. Because he's the kind of guy you want to listen. The reason... I told you all those things about me. It gets a, to paint a picture of who I am. I love, and I just love people. But to understand that this, the story that I'm going to talk about this morning is the story of David and Goliath. And it was always my story growing up. And I heard it hundreds, if not thousands of times. And I really debated whether or not I'd actually bring it this morning because a lot of you have heard it so many times. But last December... I heard a pastor talk about it in my company's devotion. We do it every, um, every Wednesday morning, and a pastor will come bring a word. And when he was doing the story, and he was telling the story of David and Goliath, I realized I just had something jump out at me that was different than any other time. You know, my parents growing up, they, they read to me quite a bit, which after them telling me that my son, Micah, is a lot like me, I can't imagine how they stuck with reading, because he will not sit still. But did you guys ever have these books that look like this? A little golden book? Anybody? They had little stories, and I remember reading them uh, a lot growing up. I was blessed to have parents uh, who taught me the word from an early age and told me these stories. But this particular story always connected with me. I mean, it really has everything that a little boy would ever want in a story. It has a hero, a villain, it has weapons, insurmountable odds, and victory. Who wouldn't love that story? That's why I've heard it so many times. My dad told me a funny story uh, this week. That I completely forgot until he reminded me. Um, but I was really young, and my parents would read this book to me over and over and over to the point that I actually had it memorized. Word for word, I knew when to turn the page. And I was in like a, a preschool type thing. My, my church, where my dad was a senior pastor, had a school attached. And so I was there. It was really early in my life, and you had to bring your favorite book, and the teacher was going to read it to the class. And I said, well, I'll read it. And they're like, you can read? I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah. Got up there and read the whole book, word for word. So the teacher comes running into my dad's office later. He's like, he's a genius. He is a genius. He can read. And my dad's like, oh, wow, what? And they're like, what was he reading? And they're like, oh, it's a book, David and Goliath. And my dad's like, oh. He has it memorized. My dad left out whether or not he corrected on the genius part. So I'm just going to say that it was left the way it was. <laughs> but this, the story just always connected with me. And there's a lot of different reasons, I'm sure. And that's a funny story, thinking about it growing up. But when I heard the story of David and Goliath, 
something jumped out at me that I'll probably never look at the story just completely the same way. And what I wanted to encourage you guys this morning is I'm, I'm, I'm going to read the story. It's like 50, 50 verses long. I'm reading it from the New Living Translation. So it's a, a version that not everybody probably has even read this story in. It reads well. And I, I just encourage you as, as I'm reading it, if there's something that jumps out at you like it did me that day, we'll run with it. You can check out for a little bit and write it down. Think about it during this week. It's okay. All right, I'm going to read this. So the Philistines and Israelites faced each other on opposite hills with a valley between them. I started in verse 3. Then Goliath, a Philistine champion from Gath, came out of the Philistine ranks to face the forces of Israel. He was over nine feet tall. He wore a bronze helmet, and his bronze coat of mail weighed 125 pounds. He also wore bronze leg armor, and he carried a bronze javelin on his shoulders. The shaft of his spear was as heavy and as thick as weaver's beam, tipped with an iron spearhead that weighed 15 pounds. His armor bearer walked ahead of him carrying a shield. Goliath stood and shouted a taunt across the Israelites. Why are you coming out to fight? He called. I am a Philistine champion, but you are only the servants of Saul. Choose one man to come down here and fight me. If he kills me, then we will be your slaves. But if I kill him, you will be our slaves. I defy the armies of Israel today. Send me a man who will fight me. When Saul and Israelites heard this, they were terrified and deeply shaken. Now David was the son of a man named Jesse, an Ephrathite from Bethlehem in the land of Judah. Jesse was an old man at that time, and he had eight sons. Jesse's three oldest sons, Eliab, Abinadab, and Shimeah, also already joined Saul's army to fight the Philistines. David was the youngest son. David's three oldest brothers stayed with Saul's army, but David went back and forth so he could help his father with the sheep in Bethlehem. For 40 days, every morning and evening, the Philistine champion strutted in front of the Israelite army. One day, Jesse said to David, Take this basket of roasted grain and those ten loaves of bread and carry them quickly to your brothers. And give these ten cuts of cheese to their captain. See how your brothers are getting along and bring back a report on how they are doing. David's brothers were with Saul and the Israelite army at the Valley of Elah, fighting against the Philistines. So David left the sheep with another shepherd and set out early in the, the next morning with the gifts, as Jesse had directed him. He arrived at the camp just as the Israelite army was letting leaving for the battlefield with shouts and battlefield cries. Soon the Israelite and Philistine forces stood facing each other, army against army. David left his things with the keeper of supplies and hurried out to the ranks to greet his brothers. As he was walking with them, Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, came out from the Philistine ranks. Then David heard him shout his usual taunts to the army of Israel. As soon as the Israelite army saw him, they began to run away in fright. Have you seen the giant? The men asked, he comes out each day to defy Israel. The king has offered a huge reward to anyone who kills him. He will give that man one of his daughters for a wife, and the man's entire family will be exempted from paying taxes. David asked the soldiers standing nearby, what will a man get for killing this Philistine and ending his, def- his defiance of Israel? Who is this pagan Philistine anyways? And he is allowed to defy the armies of the living God? And these men gave David the same reply. They said, yes. That is the reward for killing him. But then David's oldest brother, Eliab, heard David talking to the men. He was angry. What are you doing around here anyway? He demanded. What about those few sheep you're supposed to be taking care of? I know about your pride and deceit. You just want to see the battle. 
What have I done now, David replied. I was only asking a question. He walked over to some others and asked them the same thing and received the same answer. Then David's question was reported to King Saul, and he sent for him. And the king sent for him. Don't worry about this Philistine, David told Saul. I'll go fight him. Don't be ridiculous, Saul replied. There's no way you can fight this Philistine and possibly win. You're only a boy, and he's been a man of war since his youth. But David persisted. I have been taking care of my father's sheep and goats, he said. When a lion or bear comes to steal a lamb from the flock, I go after it with a club and rescue the lamb from its mouth. If the animal turns on me, I catch it by the jaw and club it to death. I've done this to both lions and bears. And I'll do it to this pagan Philistine too, for he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the claws of the lion and the bear will rescue me from this Philistine. Saul finally consented. All right, go ahead, he said, and may the Lord be with you. Then Saul gave David his armor, a bronze helmet and a coat of mail. David put it on, strapped the sword over it, and took a step or two to see what it was like, for he had never worn such things before. I can't go in these, he protested to Saul. I'm not used to them. So David took them off. He picked up five smooth stones from a stream and put them into his shepherd's bag. Then armed only with his shepherd's staff and sling, he started across the valley to fight the Philistine. Goliath walked out towards David with his shield bearer ahead of him, sneering in contempt at this ruddy-faced boy. Am I a dog, he roared at David, that you come at me with a stick? And he cursed David by the names of his gods. Come over here and I'll give your flesh to the birds and wild animals, Goliath yelled. David replied to the Philistine, you come to me with sword, spear, and javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of the armies of Israel whom you have defied. Today the Lord will conquer you and I will kill you and cut off your head. And then I will give, you, give the dead bodies of your men to the birds and the wild animals and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. And everyone assembled here will know that the Lord rescues his people but not with a sword and spear. This is the Lord's battle, and he will give it to us. As Goliath moved closer to attack, David quickly ran out to meet him. Reaching into a shepherd's bag and taking out a stone, he hurled it with one sling and hit the Philistine in the forehead. The stone sank in, and Goliath stumbled and fell face down on the ground. So David triumphed over the Philistine with only a sling and a stone, for he had no sword. Then David ran over and pulled Goliath's sword from its sheath. David used it to kill him and cut off his head. When the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they turned and ran. Then the men of Israel and Judah gave us great shout of triumph and rushed after the Philistines, chasing them as far as Gath in the gates of Ekron. Let's pray. Dear God, we take a moment this morning to learn from your word. God, I pray that it's not my words this morning, but yours. And God, today would all of us leave changed in some way. God, we thank you for the Bible. We thank you for this book that you gave us as a guide. We thank you for the stories. And God, we thank you for the life that it brings us. Amen. Okay, so let's recap. We have on this mountain over here, we have the Israelites. Then we have the Philistines over here. We have a big old giant in the middle. We have the Israelites and King Saul. They're scared and they freeze for 40 days. It's a long time. So we have the shepherd boy who comes up, he steps up, says he wants to fight the giant, he slays the giant, and then the Philistines run in fear. It's a story that we've all heard quite a bit, most likely. But when I heard 
this message, a message about David and Goliath, and I heard that story read last December, there were a few things, the first of which jumped out at me right away, and I've just been unpacking them the last few months, which is why I felt like bringing it this morning. The first question is, why did Goliath get to decide the fight? I mean, the Israelites used to be feared by the Philistines. There are places in Scripture where the Israelites, they completely dominated the Philistines. Why? Because God went before them. The Philistines could not beat the Israelites when God went before them. So what was different about this day? Why did Goliath get to set how the fight was, was, went out? How, how does that work? It doesn't make sense to me. You know, culture and the fighting style of that day allowed for this kind of battle. It allowed for one person to challenge another person and for them to just kind of go at it and then somebody would die and then they would take over. That was, you know, culturally something that happened a lot. But, you know, it didn't have to because there's other stories where that didn't happen. But I started thinking about it. You know, oftentimes it's a loud, confident voice in a room that determines how things go. I'm sure we've all experienced this, where someone in the room is louder, more confident, or seems to have it all together, so we decide to listen to that person. Or we don't say something that we really would like to say because we're intimidated. I think some of our, our personalities do, are a little bit more likely to challenge the norm with that, but oftentimes those same personalities that are that way are the ones who are actually dominating the room. But I know that we've all found, uh, fallen victim to this as well. There's a book written by Andy Andrews called How Do You Kill 11 Million People? It's a real short read. And it talks about in that book how on many occasions the, the Nazis actually would convince the Jews to get actually into one of the boxcars to go actually to their slaughter. And oftentimes they had no weapons. They would just come, out, come in front of them. They'd be confident. They'd tell lies. Like, oh, hey, we're all supposed to do something over here, and you're gonna, it's going to be better for you and your family. They have scare tactics of what they could do to them. But it literally determined the fate of millions of people by someone just talking confidently. I definitely encourage you to read that book. So the second thing that jumped out at me and the second question that I had was, why did the Israelites let one giant throw off their plan? Because clearly they had to have had a mission. You don't just have thousands of people just randomly go on a hill. There had to be some kind of a mission, some kind of a purpose for what they're doing. But, again, they let one big giant, a confident voice, determine their path. It makes me think that they probably didn't have a good understanding of what mission they were on. What was their goal? They knew there was a fight, but they had no idea where they're going. One of, in my life, I have been guilty since being a little kid as being a giant procrastinator. In school, it meant that if the test was tomorrow, I waited till uh, tonight at the last minute to study. I would, if the paper was due on Tuesday, that means Monday night was when I was trying to do something. Or if I could figure out a way to do it, it would be Tuesday morning or right before class, I'd figure it out. And when I look back, uh, at my life, I realized that being that way caused me oftentimes to not really necessarily have a big goal of what I was doing. I was just, just smart enough to get by with it, but that wasn't, I didn't excel with that. 
It's different when I go to work because I know what my expectations are. I know what my goals are. They're very tangible and they can be measured. But at home, oftentimes, I still fall into that trap of just being a little bit lazy or waiting till Wednesday morning to take out the trash or something like that. It's constant battle for me in my life. But it's also why, as a family, we started writing down goals together. Why Amber and I sit down and we've written goals out for our family. And actually, a couple, uh, I guess it was a couple weeks ago, we, we found our, our little book and we were reading through some of the goals that we, that we had for the last couple years. And it was awesome to be able to put some check marks beside some things. Having a little boy, check. Actually, we would have checked if it was a little girl, too, because it wasn't, <laughs> it wasn't male or female that decided the goal. Um, but, you know, it's just, there's things like that, that it feels good for us to know what we're working towards. And it helps for us, at times, to not be distracted because we know what we're, what we're working towards. But when you're creating the goal, just like the Israelites kind of missed this part, is it our plan that we're working towards? Or is it the Lord's plan? Because it's really, really easy to end up on our own path. All right, so to recap those first three, why did Goliath get to decide the fight? Why did the Israelites let one giant throw off their plans? And then the third thing was why was how, I guess, how was David so confident? Well, I thought about this quite a bit. What made him different? than all the others, because there's literally thousands of people, thousands of skilled warriors sitting there, fearful, doing nothing for 40 days. In verse 26, it said, Who is this pagan Philistine anyway that he is allowed to defy the armies of the living God? You see, David knew that he wasn't alone, that it wasn't himself alone going into battle. He had the Lord with him. In verse 37, it says, The Lord who rescued me from the claws of the lion and the bear will rescue me from this Philistine. In verse 45, it said, You come to me with a sword, spear, and javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of the armies of Israel whom you have defied. Today the Lord will conquer you, and I will kill you and cut off your head. He realized that this is the Lord's battle. It wasn't about the sword and the spear. He'll give you to us this day. See, inside, we all have fears. Have you ever been home alone? You're laying in bed. There's nobody else there. And you hear a random sound. And you just, your heart just jumps. And you sit there and you're paralyzed, paralyzed in your heart. You can't move. You're just frozen. Something I didn't know happened is, for me, once I got married... And then especially now that I have a son, that feeling is totally different when I hear that sound. It's not fear. It's not trembling. It's almost like an adrenaline rush. Like, you dare come into my house because I'm going to defend this house. Mainly against the ice maker. It just, you know. <laughs> but we all have insecurities just like we have our own strengths. You know, it talks about, um, in the Word, it talks about, uh, actually in chapter 16, verse 13, it said, The Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. You see, David was anointed king. That happened a little time before, but it's just one chapter over. And it's easy to glaze over that part. 
How different do you feel if you know I'm going to be the king of Israel? God has told me this. He has anointed me that. So when you walk on that field and you see a bunch of cowards there, this, this adrenaline rush, this no, this, this is my people. This is God's people who, who I can be. I need to defend them. I need to step up when no one else is stepping up. It's also, when I think about, uh, I encourage all of you to take a moment. Oh, never mind, I'll get there. <laughs> to change the perspectives then. Okay, how was David so confident? So let's change perspective. And is your fear, is our fear a reality? Tim Bassanio used to be my pastor. Just let that soak in for a little bit. He's an awesome, awesome man. And he said some things during that time that I wrote down that I will remember for the rest of my life. And what's funny is he doesn't remember saying any of them. Um, he said this one is something that I, rem- I would literally think about on a weekly basis. He said, life is full of massive problems, most of which will never happen. How often in life do we spend a ton of time thinking, worried about this conversation you're about to have with someone? Uh, for me, those kind of conversations happen when I'm in the shower. I just, my brain just starts work in a mile a minute and you have this hypothetical and I'm going to come in and I'm going to say this and this person is they're going to listen to what I have to say and you walk in and it's totally different than what you expected because life is full of massive problems most of which will never happen you see also Malcolm Gladwell's uh, there's he wrote a book called David and Goliath got the opportunity to to hear him speak and I've read this book listen to this book and it's, it's just amazing and he talks in this book about how the odds of David killing Goliath you know it weren't, wasn't necessarily these insurmountable odds because really for Goliath it was like he was bringing a knife to a gun show you see David had this slingshot and not a slingshot like what we've oftentimes see where you sit there and you pull it back, and you may be able to get, knock that bottle off or something. No, this is, this is a big slingshot. This is where you are whipping this around. And I watched some videos this week. Probably took a little bit too much time to watch these videos, but they are fascinating of what you can do with a slingshot. When you hit a piece of wood, for instance, with a slingshot, the wood shatters. The same way, if not a little bit more, that if you had shot that wood with like a forty-five caliber pistol. And so David, he knew what skill he had. He knew that he had this gun in his pocket. And why in the world was this Philistine going to intimidate him? There's also this idea, and a lot of theologians have looked at, this, at Goliath and looked in different translations in trying to understand, you know, what's his story? And there are a lot of people who think, man, he's nine feet tall. At that time, there are a lot of, you know, there'd be random giants in the land. But one of the things they've studied is, that they're actually a medical condition oftentimes. That those people died very early. There's a pituitary tumor kind of in the back of their head that would cause them to just grow and grow and grow. And oftentimes those people would end up being seven, eight, nine feet tall. But in different translations, it doesn't always just say they carried his shield. Oftentimes it was led to battle. And there were a lot of people that, that speculate that 
He could barely walk, that he didn't even know how to get there onto the battle. So it was painted as this big warrior who spoke so loudly. But it also, at times, speaks that a lot of people with this condition, they'll have double vision. They have a hard time seeing. And so in a couple translations, it actually says that um, he has sticks. You come to me with sticks. And he only had one. So there's a chance that he was actually seeing double. This is a little video clip from Malcolm Gladwell when he did a TED talk on this, on David and Goliath. So the Israelites up on the mountain ridge looking down on him thought he was this extraordinarily powerful foe. What they didn't understand was that the very thing that was the source of his apparent strength was also the source of his greatest weakness. And there is, I think, in that a very important lesson for all of us. Giants are not as strong and powerful as they seem. And sometimes the shepherd boy has a sling in his pocket. Thank you. All right, so that gets to the last, last question out of those five that, I, that really jumped out at me. And that is, how can I avoid a giant? Because I think we all can understand and realize that we face giants every week. And what does that look like? How can I avoid it when it comes up in my life? Because it might not be a nine-foot guy with a big sword and, and a shield and a spear that's facing me. But every week you're going to run into some kind of obstacle. Every day there's going to be something that gets in your way that's challenging you in your mission, in your goal. The first thing that jumped out at me is you have to know your mission. You have to know what you're working towards. The more clear your goal is, the more likely you are to be steadfast and focused. The more that you know that the mission in your goal is not your own, but it's the Lord's, then you know why you're on mission. And you're less likely to be distracted. The second thing is stay away from isolation. Because you see, the enemy will always try to isolate you. It's the very first thing that happens. He'll tell you lies like you can't handle this on your own. You know what? He's right. The good news is that you are not alone. In every battle, every giant that you face, you face with the Lord beside you. The third thing is, find your confidence in Christ. The moment that we start feeling like it is our strength that leads us is the moment we start to be distracted. About a month ago, Marc Bourgeois spoke a message on confidence in Christ. And it was such a great reminder. I loved seeing all the places in Scripture, and I loved how he laid it out. The podcast is up on our website if you want to take a listen to it. But there is something to that. Understanding who you are in Christ really does give you confidence. And my favorite part, probably with Mark's message, well, there are two favorite parts. I'll mention the other one a little bit. But... What I love about Mark, as I've gotten to know him, just even a little bit over the last couple of years, is that he's a guy that it makes sense that he's confident. He's great. He's successful. He's smart. He's intelligent. But he'll be the very first person to tell you where his strength comes from. And in his message on confidence in Christ, he talked about that. He pointed to the Lord because he has that understanding of why he's confident. That's what I loved about this with David that's why he could be confident, because he knew the strength wasn't his own. He knew what he was fighting for. And that does lead to confidence. 
The fourth thing is that we need to pray. We're all guilty of not devoting time to prayer. We're great at praying when we need something, but do we devote enough time to praying before there's a crisis? I know for me, I don't. I realized that as I was making this list, it was fourth. And I thought about putting it back to first. But then I realized, no, I'm going to leave it at fourth because that is where it is so often for me. I forget about that. I wait till there's some big thing or some big sickness or I'm battling something huge and that's when I remember to pray. But if we could spend time praying, then it would be really, really easy to get to the next one, which is to listen. I'm convinced that we often miss what God is telling us because we're too busy. We have so much going on that we don't take time to listen to what God is telling us and where he's leading us. I love my gadgets. I love that I'm controlling this by my phone. And I'm looking at my iPad. I I love gadgets, but I really don't want my son to grow up seeing this version of dad. You know, I don't want him to think of us connected. And that's going to be really, really hard for me to overcome that. Because I have emails that need answered, and I have text messages that are coming to me. But you know what? He deserves to have a dad who's all there. How in the world am I going to be able to listen to what he's facing and what things he needs if I'm distracted? And there's so many parallels of that to this story. Because you see, David was a shepherd. And I got the opportunity a few years back to spend some time in Scotland. And if you're there, it's the most beautiful thing. There's just fields and mountains that are so green. And you see, you see sheep, you see other animals, you see shepherds, you see castles. And I remember telling Amber, man, I'd love to live here, specifically in that castle. But, you know, I could be a shepherd. You know, I think I could do it. And part of the reason is, you know, because I think the busier we get in life, the more we seek out that quiet the more we recognize that we need to eliminate some distractions. And I think there's definitely something to the fact that you have David, who's this shepherd, who spends all of this time tending sheep. If you've been around sheep, they don't talk to you. You know, he had time to listen and to hear and to think through. Imagine that, that time after he gets anointed that he's going to be king. Imagine that part of life. And you go back to, your, to being a shepherd and you're sitting there in all those hours. And God was using him those, time, those hours to prepare him for what was next. The last part of that to answer that question is be ready. One of my favorite parts, the part that I referenced just a little bit of Mark's message, was he encouraged people to spend time developing a skill. When I read this story, one of the most exciting things for me is recognizing that the story of David and Goliath, I don't know if it would have happened if David wasn't skilled with his slingshot. You know, notice that he didn't wait in that moment for God to do kind of like Neo in the Matrix and just like download, like, I know jujitsu, you know, that type of thing. No, he was ready. He had his sling. He had his, he, he had his skill honed. So when God asked him to step up, he was ready. 
Would we be ready? Would we do all of those other things? Would we pray? Would we listen? But would we also develop the t- take the time to develop our confidence and our skills that God has given us? For some of you, you are very, very skilled in things like carpentry. Or you're a skilled communicator. Or you're skilled at loving people. Would you hone that skill? Would you find opportunities to use that gift that God give, gave you so when the time is right, you are ready? You know, the older that I get, the more I realize that God loved us, loves us so much that he gave us this, this book, this Bible. It, it is not just a bunch of random stories all put together. But the more that you read them, the more that you follow them, God is telling you, telling us something in every story. Most of it points to Christ. But when you read it all, there's these stories like David and Goliath. And I love the fact that I looked at this from a completely different perspective. Because I've heard this now my entire life. I, I never thought about the fact, why did that giant get to decide the fight? Why, did, why were the Israelites so distracted? Why were they so fearful? I thought a ton about David beating Goliath. Even at my desk at work, I have a little statue of David sitting there with a sword and Goliath on there. I get that part. But isn't it common that we're excited about the war? We know the mission. But that distraction could have been even in his life. He could have missed the whole thing. The last observation with this story that hit me really hard actually on Friday when I was putting a lot of this together was David ran to Goliath. He just didn't sit back and and wait for the fight to come to him. He ran there. See, David knew exactly what his mission was, and he was not afraid to run at the chance to defeat Goliath. In verse 48, it says, As Goliath moved closer to attack, David quickly ran out to meet him. Reaching into his shepherd's bag and taking out a stone, he hurled it with his sling and hit the Philistine in the forehead. The stone sank in, and Goliath stumbled to his feet, and fell face down to the ground. As the worship team comes up, I have a challenge for all of us today and for this week. Will you take some time to figure out what mission it is that God has called you to currently be on? To not be afraid to do a little course correcting if needed. It's to really figure out if God is the one calling you to the mission that you are currently on. And also, to take a little bit of time to figure out what is your Goliath. Because I'm convinced that we all have something right now that we're facing. We all have some kind of Goliath in our life. There's something that's in your life telling you things like, You're not good enough. You see, these giants tend to disguise themselves as things like fear, doubt, and lies. They creep in and tell you those things like you're not good enough, you're not smart enough, you're too small. You see, one of the real reasons the story of David and Goliath really connected with me so much in my life was that I would end up fighting the lie that I was too small. 
It was a, a lie that tried to de derail my life. You see, when I turned 16, my driver's license said I was 5'2". Let me tell you, that was a lie. I was nowhere close to 5'2". I was real small and I couldn't figure it out. I had all this desire to play sports and it stopped me from being able to play in my middle school basketball team. I was just too small. Even though I was really good, I just was small. And in basketball, that doesn't work. And by ninth grade, I stopped playing football. Just being the smallest guy out there and just realizing I just couldn't do it. And during that time of my life was when I really dove into music. I had been playing drums since uh, fifth grade. In fourth grade, I picked up the guitar, but then put it down because drums was way cooler. Um, but in ninth grade, right about that time, well, I remember being at home and I remember crying myself to sleep night after night, just trying to figure out, why am I so small? Amber and I figured out that if we had met a year before we did, she would have been taller than me. But I remember also my dad telling me stories and I remember the times with him of just crying with him in his arms and him crying with me because he knew there was nothing he could do. You see, during that time is when I dove into music and started playing and uh, because I had a little extra time because I wasn't at practice all the time, I, I was able to be a part of my, my youth worship team on Sunday nights. And I was able to, when I picked up the guitar again, I started singing, started leading worship, and I started finding a passion with that. And I look and realize that even though what seemed like a big giant in my life could have been God just nicely correcting my course and correcting my mission. So I, did, I did grow. I'm 5'11". And that all happened actually in one summer, by the way. I went from about 5'2 to 5'11", and came back in 11th grade, and everyone was like, oh my gosh, what, a, what has happened? Um, but my dad told, and I were talking about this on Friday as well, and he said the one thing that he remembers during that time that encouraged him, and the reason that he knew that I was going to be okay during that time, because yeah, I was struggling, yeah, I was going through this, but he said there was this odd confidence. I'd walk around bigger than I was. And I'd, I'd say things as if I was six foot five. And I never lived in fear during that time. And I think about how my parents set, set me up and they read this story over and over. And I wonder if that was part of the reason. I really think it is. Because as a kid thinking, oh, here's David, he could defeat this, this Goliath. Well, I can do this. I wanted to tell you guys that story so you just didn't know a little bit about me, but also to take a look, like I said this week, to try to take some time to figure out what are the giants that you're currently facing. And when you see those giants and when you face them, here's my biggest encouragement. Run. Run and face those giants. Because you know what? You are not facing that giant alone. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the story. We thank you for David and Goliath. God, we thank you for the word of God that is living and breathing. And God, this morning we come to you, a group of people who are broken. 
who need you, who are facing giants of so many different sizes. People are dealing with emotional things that are happening, spiritual things that are happening, physical ailments, God. These are all giants in our life. But God, would you show each one of us that we are not alone? God, would you show us the path to defeat these giants? Because I truly believe that you've given in each one of us the ability and the confidence that we need to defeat these giants. And God, as we see each other struggling, and God, as we sit here as a group of believers, God, would you show us how to support each other, encourage each other, to lift each other up when we're feeling down. So that way, God, we as a church, can we be known for overcoming giants every day and every week? And would you show us just the clear mission of what you are doing around us, God, so that way we know that we are on the right path. God, we thank you for a time to just even take a step back out of our week and to connect with you.